0: our Book Fair, fanfare at Tokyo Art Book
1: Fair.
0: Hello, this is Frag here from Fanfare. This is Femke Decker from JAEA
2: NNNE. And with us is also Miguel Lavas Gomez, who is taking visual notes while we speak, that you can find further down on the page accompanying this conversation.
0: We're here for our third session of um, discussions we've been having uh, around topics of graphic design and current events, uh, hosted by Fanfare, the Amsterdam platform for graphic design. And today we have three speakers with us who will talk a little bit about collaborative works. Yeah, all
2: framed within the, the title of Connecting. And um, that is perhaps a title that also needs a bit of explanation very shortly, as we will address it a lot in the conversation. In, as well as around Fanfare, we observe a very high level of collaborative projects and initiatives and practices connected to graphic design. Whether or not this is Dutch, that's something that we can discuss in the conversation. But um, most importantly, we find it very interesting to talk about and to reflect on what it means to connect and collaborate within the discipline of graphic design. And to do so, we have
0: three very different uh, practices. Or Joining us at the table today. Exactly. First up is Roger Willems who uh, runs a publishing company called Roma uh, and also has a space here in Amsterdam uh, where he presents various installations, uh, lectures and presentations by graphic designers and the space is called Enter Enter. And next up, we have Hackers and Designers, which is a collective existing of more
2: people. But with us is Juliette Lisot and Anya Groden to talk
0: about their different inputs and practice. And also joining us is Caroline Buurman, who is involved in the publication Nexus, uh, published, uh, used to be published twice a year, now going back to a one-a-year-time publication, but a very... Informed by collaborative efforts to publish. Yes, the conversation goes many different directions, and I guess it's just, and addresses a big elephant in the room, indeed, as well. Let's go. Uh, Yes, my name is Anja Gordner. I'm here,
2: uh, I think, as part of the collective practice and designers. My my own background is in graphic
3: design trained as graphic designer in Germany and, and, and in the Netherlands with my master in uh, design at the Sompag Institute where I'm now also uh, the course director of the design department and so yeah I do have a connection <laughs> to graphic design and design and um, with hackers and designers specifically I think we are looking more uh, at the cross-section of design with other disciplines and also maybe even question whether disciplinary boundaries are all that uh, relevant anymore, actually, and not, not to say there's an answer to that, but uh, um, I guess it's something that, that we are uh, interested in exploring. Yeah, and I'm here with um, other member of Hex Maybe you want to introduce. Um, my name is Julia Lizotte. Uh, no, I graduated from the Sandberg Design Department, and I was trained as a graphic designer. Um, I am currently not doing a lot of graphic design, but mostly a lot of video work. But I also am a more member of. Uh, Hackers and Designers, a former member of uh, um, yeah, uh, Boys and Girls. And yeah, that's it for now, I guess.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, so my name is Caroline Berman, and I am the, I'm running a research and design studio called Paradigm. And I'm like mostly responsible for the research there and creative direction. And uh, Paradigm is a practice for visual culture. That's how we like to call it. Um, because we really investigate like how visual culture manifests itself, but also how it influences the designer as a as a maker and society in general. And um, I run um, yeah an artistic research platform called NXS, uh, which uh, Juliette was also part of, and um, which is um, I see that maybe a little bit more as an artistic project than rather than just a design project, as it is very much about um, co-creating content with others. And what we mostly focus on is researching the self in the age of digital technologies. I don't know, can talk much more about that, of <laughs> course, sure but yeah, maybe as a short intro, to can start with that. Yeah, yes. thanks.
5: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, Roger Willems. I'm also trained at uh, as a graphic designer, and also graduated at the Sandberg Institute of Graphic Design, um, and I run Roma Publications, a publisher of art and artist books, and since uh, 20 years already, which was first like a side project, but uh, gradually turning into my uh, yeah, entire like uh, full-time job. And besides running Roma publications, uh, last year May we moved into a new studio at the new um, which was the former office of uh, Idea Books, our distributor. And there we rent rent the back space, and we have the the free the the front space um, available for uh, presentations. It's, we call it a space for books. Enter enter a space for books. Um, yeah, so the, the ideas, but maybe you'll talk about that later, but that's uh, my double role at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, basically making books.
6: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Maybe we can start with um, your backgrounds in the sense that I was wondering, uh, you all have a practice right now which is maybe a step away from uh, graphic, design. Uh, Africa, graphic design. But I was wondering, if for you don't have a background as a graphic designer, but I do feel... Could you tell us a little bit about how your current practices are still so formed or shaped by uh, your background? Okay, yeah, I, I don't see so much as stepping away from graphic
3: design, but more an enhancement yeah. maybe, or like an extension. With, yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't like. Uh, I'm, I'm, still very much feel connected to design and graphic design. And I, I think uh, I was one to be aware of it, you know, when I, even if I engage in community, uh, community organization, organizing workshops, and I do all of that kind of with the mindset of a designer. And that's sometimes, um, really helpful and sometimes it's in the way as well. I see now with, uh, some also doing it. Uh, artistic research uh, PhD at the moment and this kind of determinism of the designer wanting to uh, know you know where you're heading is actually sometimes not so helpful <laughs> <laughs> you want to like browse and explore and question dig deeper and if I don't have a purpose I find that very challenging but also very interesting
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would and then, then, because this is a conversation that we've had before with others as well and that we, you just said yes, there's a difference, you know, I see NXS more as an artistic practice. Uh, for me as an outsider, because I'm neither a designer nor an artist, um, I see them very much as an artistic practice uh, uh, in the broadest sense of the word, and then it does feel like, I know when, when you say um that you still feel connected with the design works, but there is this distance, so it's like a negative connotation with design, whereas I feel that design has shifted into this larger conversation that we're having. You know, design can be so many things. It could be an autonomous practice as well as an applied practice. It could be completely commercial or completely autonomous. Um, Maybe you said you're a visual artist and a designer as well. Do you feel it's the same practice? Um, I
3: think that, uh, I mean, for me, yes, it is because it's my practice. So, like I bring the two together. But um, um, yeah, some projects are definitely more design oriented, uh, like books, uh, publications, or Uh, sometimes yeah like whatever like a logo or something for um, a friend or an artist Um, so yeah I don't I, I think that's the nice part about the Netherlands actually is that the the borders are very fluid between art and design and I think it's pretty comfortable here to be to, yeah, to be an artist and a designer, and it's not weird. Like nobody thinks like, oh, can't you just choose like a, a side? Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's uh, uh, something that I discovered here um, and that I feel very comfortable with. That I can just like, uh, yeah, work on an autonomous uh, project and still do like graphic design stuff uh, as a freelancer or uh, with hackers and designers work on. Uh, some strange uh, pro- yeah uh, experimental books uh, without having to call it like a, a real graphic design project or like a commission work or so that's nice but uh, yeah I would say that the graphic design definitely influences uh, uh, my practice or at least uh, everything that I learned I feel like now I know
6: that I don't want to do that. <laughs> 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 Mm-hmm. how does it work for you now that no. you have this actual space that you use as a as a presentation? Yeah, right?
5: yeah, that's very much a joint uh, project. Huh? Like I'm, I'm one of the people running this. For me, like I, I'm still a graphic designer because most of the time I'm, I'm, I'm designing the books that that I publish. But um, yeah, it's such a wide, uh, yeah notion i mean design is so wide and i think my position how i how i um, ended up being a publisher and a designer and having this project space it all has to do with with my love for books and my uh, desire to be completely independent and so i i really really i like to design and work on on even on the smallest detail but but not in this (laughs) institutional setting or a more uh, commercial setting. But at the same time, I wanted to make my living with this. So it was like a very long term project uh, to always dream from ideal situation of doing the, the things you like with friends and then also uh, be able to, to to make your living with that.
6: But there's nods there's around the table practice. <laughs>
5: yeah. yeah. But yeah. Well, maybe speaking of, of
6: that, I mean we're here to talk about
2: collaborating mm. uh, and collaborative practices, um, maybe saying can... Well, I mean it's it's interesting because I was I was trying to formulate a question something like how how can graphic design also be a tool to generate collaborative projects and then stopping myself realizing that I think I think very 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 often um graphic design publishing in a broad sense also is collaborative by nature so maybe that actually made me reformulate the question into like if, if it even if there even is such a thing as a non collaborative publishing um scenario or if if collaboration actually is a part of a dna in graphic design mm-hmm.
4: Well, I don't know. just kind of taps into also, I guess, the previous question um, that uh, Femke also asked. Is like, I am actually, I'm, I guess, I'm the only one at this table who's not a graphic designer. Okay. <laughs>
1: of course, <Okay. laughs>
4: but I do have um, a studio which is very much focusing on graphic design as a medium. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, <laughs> running that design studio is already a collaborative, collaborative practice per se. Like I. I'm very much um, so. I am trained actually as a scientist. <laughs> I studied uh, social psychology, and I and as an artist. And so for me, um, like I'm bringing a lot from that into this design studio. But I'm not the actual the actual one like creating the visuals. Like I said, I do more like creative di- direction, art direction. But um, it also means that. Our dis- studio is not just focusing on graphic design. Like the research from my personal background also really feeds into that. And in order to, like, sort of execute a lot of our projects or our research, we collaborate with others and then. And Access is like it's it's a publication project. That's how it started off. It's also about um, creating other works that kind of respond to that publica- publication, but sort of creating collaborations or creating a network is kind of like it's our method and our goal, I guess, of this of this project. So for us, collaboration, I think without collaboration or connecting with others today, like, we just could not even exist <laughs> as a practice.
6: Is it then a, is is that collaboration then always a democratic process where everybody has a same say? Or do you as an organization, and I think that goes for all three of you, uh, have do you have this directing role still where you actually have the, the final say in that collaboration? I
5: can imagine that for Roma, of course. Yeah, I'm also thinking, like, I think like your whole project or having a publisher, that's, that the design is a part of it. And I, I really like, it's a really a collaborative project. It's like a platform that you share with people, but the design can be a very personal element and uh, so when I work with designers that that come up with proposals that we accept, I, I try to give them complete freedom because I think there's also a quality and like a personal voice, uh, and that can be very much like a, a distinctive graphic design uh, element. But it, but that's that's just a, an element. Like um, yeah. So, so uh, it's uh, sometimes I, I, I let it go. It's more the decision to be a platform, and sometimes you're completely democratic almost. Uh, yeah, but I think it's... Uh, it's a, Yeah, there's not uh, one way to look at it. Uh, yeah. I'm looking across the
6: table, Yeah, I think <laughs> I, would, I really
3: no. want to say we're like a de- like collaborative democratic organization, but I think it's also a bit... Uh, uh, yeah I don't know if if we can live up to that and if anyone can in a way because it's um, it's also a question of like how much access do you have, how much access do you give and uh, also like what tools are you working with and are those accessible to everyone so it's something that we strive for And it's really important to us to think about how to be inclusive and in the way we organize things. But yeah, it's a struggle. And I think it's something that's often forgotten or like not talked about too much when you talk about collaborative practice, very, always very, very, um, yeah, a bit fetishized or like, um, talked about in very positive terms, whereas it's actually quite like hard and really, uh, not all that glamorous all the time. And uh, um, so I think, yeah, we try, we have our our ways, but we are like also constantly revisiting what it means to collaborate. And one thing that we have been talking about for a long time and never felt, like felt the urge to do, but now finally got to uh, in the last uh, workshop program that we organized is like writing a code of conduct, for instance, to make sure that we don't just assume everyone's on the same page but really make it more explicit and make us also our agenda a bit more explicit to people because I think in order to to collaborate in a very like um, inclusive way the need to be also really explicit in where you stand and, and and what's important to you as collective and also where do you not agree with each other and what are contingent points and also, weaknesses, vulnerabilities of the collective.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It reminds me a bit of a project that we've been working on for a very long time as well. It was about the uh, display systems, and then because we were trying to th- collaborate across organizations, it became as much about these two, um, I don't know, studios organizations coming together and having completely different. Um, patterns, maybe even being confronted with one's own patterns only in the context of the other (laughs) group. Something that we then started doing as a side thing on the website for this project was to count our hours and finances or the lack of them. We cannot really count them, but it was with an intent of actually being transparent on the time and finance invested in the project exactly because of realizing how that's very often really not um that present both externally i think to the outside world but also internally how much time we use how much expectations that are connected to collaborations and this is, this is more of a comment than a, than a direct question um
3: i think also what uh, uh at least from my experience uh what works with hackers and designers is that uh, not only are we today like a bit of a larger group so it's like we find ways to collaborate that can um accommodate like different um disponibilities but also uh, none of us has hackers and designers as a main practice even if it was a project that was started by anna and selby and james who is no longer part of hackers and designers but selby still is and it just continues to grow but uh, it's like a very big project because they're quite busy all year long with it but we all have our individual practice so i feel like this also uh, takes a bit of weight of like um uh yeah maybe bringing extra frustrations that uh yeah could be there if it was if we would all like be like full-time working on this and maybe to the the point of Mentioned, I'm just thinking of a reference. (laughs) We're Uh, ready. (laughs) uh, Joe Freeman, The Tyranny of Structurelessness. And I was just thinking about this notion of freedom, which is um, also one of these notions that is very fetishized. And just thinking of how grateful I am that there is a moderator structuring the conversation. (laughs) Because if you just leave it up to everyone, uh, oftentimes just nothing happens. Or, you know, like it's so. I actually think structures and, and frameworks are, are really important and mm-hmm. I have I didn't think that all the time. I think when we started with hackers and designers, it, it really much the story of hackers and designers was told as it kind of grew by itself and uh, all of a sudden there's this community and and I came to understand that uh, that's not what happened. It's really just unclear. It was unclear to everyone. Yeah, I want to be part of this, but how you know I don't get it, and so it's like freedom can be also, it yeah, it has a slippery slope, yeah. That's just in
1: addition.
5: No, the structure is very important
1: mm-hmm.
5: also to make things, uh, to communicate it, to, to share it, yeah. to understand it, to frame it. I think Roma, it was like we started because I gave it the name Roma number one. And it's mm-hmm. still this numbering. And that's a very strong framework, which was kind of totally, um, yeah, not well thought out. Uh, it was just more accidentally joke in the beginning.
6: And then within that framework,
5: yeah, you get can- space
6: to do what you want.
5: Yeah there was there was more like an unwanted frame but it 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 worked. it's so strong that you you cannot uh, dis- escape from it. <laughs> but yeah. No no but that's that's what I also would agree that you embrace that because then then uh, it makes space for other things if you have a structure.
3: It's also nice because I also relate to this naming thing because we uh, started off just by organizing one event with the ambition of having a series and we called it, or James called it Hackers and Designers. Not that we love the name, it just stuck (laughs) to us and people start recognizing Mm -hmm. it and then it becomes something else, right? And then... Also, it's interesting is that uh, finding it a bit problematic and how you relate to it. And yeah, how do you negotiate with this? What sticks to you
5: also eh? as an But that's, for, uh, yeah. I find it nice. Like Enter, yeah. Enter came from a doormat <laughs> that, uh, w- uh, yeah, from my website, I've Enter. And it was uh, drawn by an artist, Mark Nagsam, like a bit slanted. And then we have exhibition in, uh, in Korea. And as a joke, we had this doormat with enter enter on it. There was a gift from uh Mm Nakim. And I brought it here, and then uh, that was that was our entrance. (laughs) And then we put it on the window, and it was and then suddenly it's a brand. Yeah. But that's the beginning of a structure.
6: It's the beginning of a structure. It's also the beginning because you are working within a public sphere, Mm -hmm. or at least there is an audience for work is there a question or is there a, a, at a time where it no longer belongs to you in that sense but it belongs to this larger yeah. collective which is both bigger and audience together
4: maybe yes. that we- <laughs> yeah yeah well um maybe i should really shortly explain and a little bit um, um um how nxs works in this uh, uh in this setting so um, it started off as a publication um, and we've made five so far and, um, and then we actually moved on to other formats like we've made uh, uh, movies, like art installations, all kinds of, of um, events, also actually um, in collaboration with Fantara. Exhibitions, and but it started as a publication, and the idea was that we would create um, a responsive network. So we would start with one um, contributor, and it could be a, a visual artist or a writer, like basically anyone who could create content or has something to say about the self in the age of digital technology or the specific topic of that publication. That contribution we forward to one or two, or sometimes three other contributors. And they respond to that in their own way. So, and then it's kind of like a chain reaction evol- evolves. So it's like other people responding to that. So in a way, um, we, we completely lose control in a way. Of course, we pick the people, but even that method we've changed already. Uh, mm-hmm. So we let other previous contributors now also recommend um, uh, people so that we just don't, you know, fish we're in the same sea all the time. And um, but yeah, sometimes you know, we let really let people free in how they want to respond. So yeah, it's not that we really control what kind of visual or what kind of text we're getting back. And sometimes it really like goes off in a complete different direction than we anticipated. But this is part of it. This is kind of like our learning process or our research process to see where that can go, but it's also um, yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, oh, I, I did not expect that to happen yeah so it, it, the 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 lack of control is part of the process which is also again
6: a decision We had this come up in an earlier conversation also the the idea of not having the structure and handing that over to other people is, is yeah structure
4: exactly yeah that you put into place yeah so in this same method we apply to like the other works that we make so we use the same methods yeah
2: yeah, I think that's something I recognized from different file program as well in several ways. One year trying to almost work like a chain letter with one um, presenter, presenter inviting the next one, inviting the next one. It was interesting to try out and I'm also aware now why I would not repeat that format again. Um, Could you maybe elaborate on that? Why you would not repeat it? Well, I mean, this loose of... Con- Control also means that there's some things which maybe um, do not... I wouldn't go into any personal like uh, namings, but, but where it just does not um, um, at all reflect the program anymore. Maybe I can come with another example, which is um, it actually in sound recording. We've been trying a lot out with recording our questions and sending them to people. Um, and then allowing them a bit of a free space in terms of how they record themselves with responding. A good outcome was, for instance, realizing that um, it's a way to reach out to people that are not, I mean, you cannot take for granted that people speak English necessarily. So we got um, recordings, read out louds from Google Translate sent back, or people that were singing or speaking on top of each other. And it was all um for us interesting to create this framework and see what came back but at moments it also meant 45 minutes of someone reading out loud something in a very dry tone and <laughs> we we almost cannot even edit it through because it's uh, because we, yeah because it becomes very very dry in the long run but then we've set up this format where we where we share it equally because we treat the contributions equally yeah, that was maybe a bit of an extended <laughs> example. Well, so I
6: was wondering if it would be over now seeing if, if he has a similar story to tell or if you've always been happy with the outcomes. Mm, so.
5: No, not always, but we try to reject it in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I have some I have some pain uh, things, but uh, I keep them secret.
6: (laughs) (laughs) We can edit it out here. (laughs) I'm also wondering, and and, um, in the last conversation, someone called it the elephant in the room, but I think uh, it's actually vital that we talk about it uh, here. Uh, I mean, all your, um, which is COVID-19, Yeah, We're all wearing masks, by the way, which is why we're sounding a little muffled, Um, but in the same distance. Uh, No, the thing is what I'm wondering about is that all your practices uh, are not only dependent on those collaborations and and the audiences, but uh, are very much, um, you know, taking place in the physical sphere. So I was wondering how, and uh, how did you adjust your practice in the last year, and and what it means to you, maybe some revelations, uh, some positive insights, but maybe also some negative stuff, I don't know. If we've all been struggling yeah. but we've
5: all had some revelation <laughs> no I talk so much
6: <laughs> um,
3: yeah so uh, obviously uh, as for anyone else it was a uh, big changes that we had to do for our program um, the summer academy uh, got <laughs> I, every year we organize the summer academy <laughs> as it sounds it is a, yeah alternative pedagogy program happening during the summer uh, here in Amsterdam, and usually it's happening in
4: like, yeah, in a physical
3: space in Amsterdam, and we have participants coming from various places around the world for two weeks to spend uh, uh, yeah, days and sometimes uh, evenings um, exploring the specific theme of the year. And this year, because of uh, COVID nineteen, we had to rethink a bit how to organize this, and we decided to uh, do it anyway, but uh, host it online uh, on a shorter uh, period of time. So it changed the format a bit. We only had one week, and we had way too many participants to my liking, but. Uh, It was also, I guess because it was not required for people to come to Amsterdam. There was a lot more uh, application and it was really hard to reject people. And even if we did do like a huge selection because we had a lot of applications this year, uh, we still had all together with the workshop givers, the participants and ourselves. I think we were like 80 people, which is like, Quite a large group when you have when you want to like try to get to know other people which is also the yeah aim of the summer academies but um yeah so it's it, yeah it definitely changed a lot and um yeah i don't know like i think it just like everything was a bit uh uh upside down for a bit. like mm. uh, reorganizing and uh the summer academy definitely was like in a different shape that it was but I think that it was also um, interesting and challenging way to explore the theme of this year that is uh, called uh, network imaginaries. So I think that was like a very hands-on way to kind of like uh, get back on our feet and like try to understand this um, this theme also in terms of in our own organization and how to in yeah how to make this uh, summer academy happen and now of course we have a exhibition uh, we had this exhibition that was at uh, tetem in ensrede that just opened before the lockdown and that's probably uh, almost nobody saw <laughs> and we moved it to fuse uh, 3 weeks ago and of course it's a bit tricky because like with like uh, the new measures it's kind of like we had a we had a
2: few public programs uh plan but we had to shift most of it online so it's just like yeah have to adjust all the time in the context of this uh, book fair in Tokyo which now is a virtual book fair maybe it's also interesting to hear a little bit about um how you tackled this new york
5: yeah that came out from frustration
1: okay Yeah.
2: Now,
5: I, i'm personally i in may like in march when it's kind of started uh, for for us um i was kind of relieved because i felt the whole world was overheated somehow and I, there were so many things you know in the agenda and going on so yeah. i felt like wow everything can be canceled for a while and we take our time and mm-hmm. i started working on a few bigger projects that i I spent a few months working on, which I would normally, like, uh, like, yeah, I don't know, exp, uh, uh, Yeah, I, I wouldn't have time to do that. But then, especially uh, end of August, um, after a summer break, I felt suddenly very disappointed that everything was cancelled, especially the book fairs, which is uh, for September, we are always... In August, we start already preparing ourselves for the New York Art Book Fair. We we ship stuff and we produce small things. We invite friends. We make plans, and it felt like a like a, like like a gap that this was not um, yeah in in uh, coming up. And then um, yeah, we thought let's let's do something to to capture this this also this desire this this energy. And we decided to copy the room C of the New York Art Book Fair, which is a room that that for the last five years, I think, um, we were placed by printed matter. And then we always met a group of publishers um, that um, kind of felt related in that space. So we we thought we, we will make this specific room in uh, enter enter for the month of September, so instead of uh, a busy weekend, we, we we spread it out over uh, the whole month, and then uh, yeah we, we it it was not not the same, but it, at least it had something like okay we can put a table on and we we, we, we because you work with with books you work always for this. Uh, uh, moments to show it and to share it and to to see what people think of it and to to meet with the artists and yeah. uh, the designers. <laughs> so there was a bit like a uh, yeah a st- a stand in for that. And
6: also the fairs
5: themselves are, are very much a, a networking tool. It is about meeting yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a very social uh, moment and yeah you know, and. Uh, yeah, and I thought this could, could be nice if other people also do a room somewhere else and then we send stuff there. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Did that happen? Yeah. Um, something, I, I think uh, there was something, uh, not, not really like I, I could imagine. No, no it's like the Tokyo Art Book Fair in New York, Art Book Fair, they are trying to do something online.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, yeah. yeah.
4: I can very much relate to that as well. That we really missed the yeah. book fairs. We usually stay in Europe, yeah. but uh, we go to Offprint in Paris and yeah. London, and uh, and then a couple of smaller ones. And yeah, this is not only for us really the way to sell our publications because we do sell in bookshops and through our online shops, which actually skyrocketed <laughs> during the lockdown. The sales through the online shops, but it's still it's different book fairs for us that is the way not only to connect to fellow publishers so we self-publish um but um it's also to connect to our audience right because normally we interact with your audience on instagram or uh, you know like uh, sometimes people send you an email or we know people here but for us it is really to connect with uh Um, Like it's, it's a lot of young people, but also older people that are really interested in the topic. You have endless conversations. Like it's a whole day of not just selling, it's like talking. Yeah. I really miss that. Yeah. And we, uh, we, so for us, it was also, I mean, we, we actually consciously also decided to, instead of a publish now a publication like twice a year, we're going to uh, one once a year. And um, we actually decided to, um, change a little bit um, our work method or actually to add something to it because like how I explained it's like normally someone responds to a previous person and uh, and so on another person responds to that but it's kind of like a one-way direction right the person in the beginning doesn't really get the chance to to, like step back into that discussion so we started on Instagram this. uh, it's like a one-minute podcast series and we call it uh, an excess side note because um, we actually like asked like, previous contributors to um, talk about their contribution um, in the context of not only COVID-19, but also the Black Lives Matter protest, basically everything in 2020 that turned the world upside down and how that relates to the contribution that they made at that time. So um, yeah, we thought it was nice to... Um, like, uh, you know, like, enable them to respond uh, to that while also making it relevant to the world we live in, like, nowadays.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, um, and just some thoughts about this idea of, like, staying connected and, and having, like, this network function of a book fair, I guess, when we were um, discussing whether or not we're going to um, pursue with our plans for the summer school, um, yeah, there were also some people who were really like, yeah, "No, I'm not really not interested. I'm just always online at the moment, and I don't wanna do that like for a whole week, and it's so tiring." Um, and of course, everything we do with hackers and designers really lives in a moment of exchange, and we we it's really about like the hands-on. Aspect of taking things apart, you know, like working with electronics and really trying things out and doing that together is really the insightful moment. Or that's what, what makes this, uh, uh, yeah, a unique experience. Um, but then at the end of the day, we also came to the realization that, uh, we are a community and it's, um, that, yeah, we, we really felt the need also to show solidarity and find ways to stay connected and whatever means, you know, it, uh it takes and of course everyone is in the same boat so eventually we we uh, yeah we decided to go for it and and really give the the space for people to explore means of staying connected and collaborating together online and really um yeah experiment with that so not so much put all the pressure on people to perform as they would usually but really um, also give space for glitches and be patient with each other and we really nurture that atmosphere Um so yeah at the end I'm really glad we did it also because we have now a lot of experience on what works and what doesn't like which tools to combine to make it a bit more pleasant for everyone and um, yeah, so I think this idea of staying connected is, is really uh, is really important because a lot of people, when I think also in Amsterdam, it's like the huge expat community, and people moved here maybe recently, and you know you come to a new place, and and then you know there's like no way of meeting people right now. Like, mm-hmm. guess you cannot go out, you cannot party, you cannot do anything, and it's just really uh, depressing, no? Uh, yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's really important to still, yeah. To, yep. to try and stay sort of connected.
6: Can you maybe give some examples? Because I think it, it, it goes way beyond, you know, the, the connection between the and I mean, in the, these conversations we had with self-education, mm-hmm. where of course our, our entire system has changed. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could maybe lead us by some examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I think we, like, we were all very
3: impressed by one specific workshop, which was about, um, building experimental chat rooms and just two, um, uh, makers, coders slash activists from the states. And, uh, well, they were, of course, they, they, they were in a totally different time zone. So there was that challenge, but then, also nothing together in space, um, they came up with a really well-structured uh, workshop, which was a website, and you could follow asynchronously, and then there were moments where you'd meet, but they weren't really long. So you would have materials, and there would be moments, for instance, also where uh, people made meetings on a um, collaborative notepad to discuss an issue. And um, and they had uh, structured structure really really well. Talking again about freedom and structure, <laughs> um that uh, yeah, you really felt like taking care of. And uh, and there were a few of these examples that uh, that were really nice. And I, I guess what helps really is to combine tools, to not only rely on video call but also have things to do on the side or when uh, technology breaks that people can still have another way of um joining and being an educator myself i i really try to use as yeah as much as possible technology in the classroom to still include people because if you're quarantining or you have a cold you you cannot join and um and there are uh, devices that allow you to uh, still be part of the room and so i think it's it's really important to um really exchange about these things very practically so like I, if I find something that works I send links and say mm-hmm. buy this this is really working and uh, it's also not good co- like what's also important is if uh, if you do with technology um, there are a lot of people that have uh, a lot of anxieties about mm-hmm. it and that's something also really to address and, and take time to explain and not assume that everyone is very comfortable doing that and
5: can you give an example of something that really worked?
3: Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Jabra conference speaker. The what kind of conference? Jabra conference speaker?
5: It's something like a
3: yes. box? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's like a speaker and a microphone. And mm-hmm. the, it works really well. And it's not what's important about that one is that it's not... A, reliant on a specific software. So you can use it with mm. your browser with Gypsy, but not only with Teams or something like that. Mm. So that's also I'm trying also to find open source alternatives and Quite resilient in uh, defending Jitsi over Zoom, um, which gets more and more challenging.
6: (laughs) It does. I I remember being, like, in the first lockdown, being extremely opposed to Zoom, but when, uh, you know, society at large, I think that is something what I find really interesting that you're saying is like, keep it open source and having a conversation also where we, you know, exchange ideas of not just how to deal with now, but how to deal Mm -hmm. with. All these issues that matter to us, but that um, I think this lockdown kind of pushed us in a way to limiting uh, our communication instead of enlarging. Mm -hmm. And also because, you know, through education, uh, being an educator myself as well, I now constantly work through teams, which is not my preferred environment. Mm For art education, mm.
2: especially also because it's this moment where there's somehow a room for, or hope at least for, establishing new. There's not necessarily already um, what does it call like uh, traditional patterns in how people mm-hmm. communicate mm-hmm. online. So there's there's some kind of a possibility in in seeding or planting that year of. And what, what tools
0: do you use?
3: What I also use? notice is that just keeping calm and patient is really the only way of going about it. Like, there's yeah. no point in, in stressing out when all of a sudden there's someone breaking off in the middle of that talk, you know? Like, mm-hmm. no point. We can all stress out now, or we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and, uh, yeah, and, yeah, it's a bit, um, uh, sad, like, when because it is now getting more popular. It's getting also very glitchy so um, I've been moving to the Jitsi instance of the VAR they have their own uh, Jitsi which is more stable at the moment but it might change tomorrow so it's
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, keeping each other informed about that's that practical stuff
2: I think yeah. really yeah. so it seems like in the context of like talking about collaborations or connecting that on one hand there's yeah there's this lack and loss of um, physical meetings. But then on the other hand, there's also both tools and um, other kinds of networks that become possible, for instance, that you talk about the summer school um, having more applications than ever before or that you can set up the New York uh, book fair here on a canal in Amsterdam, or at least a room C version of it. Do you experience then in any way... Um, yeah has, has it changed your your collaborative um, reach or your collaborative pa- patterns
4: within the last yeah 2020 well i think we were kind of awkwardly non-digital in a way <laughs> with, mm. especially with nxs and we publish in printed form and uh, not online and mm. um, um, so the fact that we're already doing this podcast series that is then um on instagram is already like for us uh, already a change and we're also really discussing about like starting to publish online mm. because it's just um you have to think in that direction now so for us it definitely uh, changed our way of thinking of okay how do we make ourselves more visible and accessible mm.
6: what i also found really interesting is what you said earlier is that you Actually, allowed yourself some time to work on larger projects. I also have the feeling that this time should lead maybe to yeah. less productivity, but more about reflection or quality. Mm-hmm. Because that's something that I noticed in the beginning, especially in the beginning of this year, is that people were still producing like crazy. And especially the, the invitations you would get mm-hmm. for like online gatherings was overwhelming. Where it's like, I'm, I'm really interested in, in seeing this maybe a step back a little bit more, which is kind of taking you out of this collaborative setting when actually getting more back into yourself and and into seeing what you want as an individual, maybe, or uh, in your case, then, still as a group. Mm.
3: Yeah, I wish that would (laughs) be... I really wish that i could recognize that. No, for me, I mean, what I do recognize is reflective mode that you say, but not so much through... Rest, and I think I do. I could use some, <laughs> but um, uh, more through constant translations and rethinking. And mm-hmm. um, I do reflect a lot on what we do, and um, and problematize a lot, and get new perspectives, and that's been quite insightful. And in terms of tools, we've also explored new. We like we already were exploring a lot of um, open source and alternative tools, but I think we've even in there we have made new steps as well, um, building our own live stream and trying to also understand um, server infrastructures better. And um, also, uh, one of our members, Kyle, was uh, is a recent graduate from the Design Academy. He uh, built a file sharing system using a peer-to-peer protocol called Hypercore, so just using something that's not, you know, the, the internet as we know it, like all of these, so that there has been a lot of um, reflections and rethinking, but so far not, not, at least for me, not so much. You were reading a lot of books at the beginning, I remember.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean, uh, I'm lucky I'm not an educator or in a, a let's say regular way, so for me, the first, yeah, the lockdown, uh, this, the two months lockdown, it was not so busy. <laughs> and it was a bit overwhelming, but it was also like definitely a moment for uh, self-reflection, uh, figuring out what is this that I'm doing with my life. <laughs> and um, Yeah, and I think that uh, it was definitely an interesting experience to, as, uh, as I said earlier, also... Um, that this like rhythm that really slowed down everything a bit on hold. And, uh, I feel like, um, I don't know, somehow against my will, I'm always like running everywhere and I think I like it, but I'm also like, always, uh, wishing that I could like have like a moment to like reboot, <laughs> but uh, instead like in a regular rhythm, I'm just like running everywhere and, crashing and having, like, a little breakdown and then having to run <laughs> everywhere again. Um, and, yeah, I feel like during the lockdown, it was, it was nice to just, um, like, at first it was challenging, obviously, but uh, to just be, like, not knowing what was going to happen and if things would ever be, and, I mean, still the case, kind of, but we found ways to have planned I guess a little bit but uh, at first it was a bit like unclear what was gonna happen next and I think that was kind of interesting to um, figure out what to do about this time then and yeah I don't know I found uh, some kind of like uh, alternative rhythm for myself where I was working a little bit, but not a lot every day, and uh, and when the, when it was announced that the lockdown was going to be over, I was like, no, I finally found how
6: I want to well, <laughs> live. Exactly, but the, the reason why I'm also asking is the fact that if you do work, you know, I know so many uh, people working in, in you know, the collaborative structure. But then again, all of us, and I think 90% of, of people with an independent practice will recognize this, are all completely stressed out and run out in you know in the last couple of years. So why why is it that we can't manage, even within that collaborative structure, we can't manage to take care of the individual? And isn't the collective supposed to take care of each other? And and apparently there is something. I wouldn't say inherently wrong with the system that we're working in, but it is something that we need to discuss and address. And how is it that we we don't find ways of, you know, of, of taking care of the self within the collective?
4: I think that because we're also like so used to like being so like self critical and like, we're so used to this high performance and, you know, like that we have to perform on the best level, which also means a high frequency and like constantly. Because I I also actually have to also admit that the first two months of the lockdown, I actually quite enjoyed. I had the same like reading, um, working a little bit, but it was also kind of funny that, as soon as that we had like some opportunities for work, how immediately I went like like really just like full on forward, straight in it, like working like day and night, and also sort of not being able to just say, Well, tomorrow there's another day. Like and I'm like, yeah, what well, did I just learn in the last two months? Actually I just had like a little bit of rest and oh yeah, lots of self-reflection, but I was somehow like not able to really incorporate that and really adjust the way i work i think that for me that would take a lot more on learning like i was just back to where i was well, well,
5: well, never yeah. <laughs> i think i think uh, what happened to me when when i almost got back to normal i got covid myself
1: uh, so
5: and then that yeah. brought me really to yeah. this kind of uh level that I had to accept okay take it easy yeah and and I feel like it's uh, became more part of me yeah so thanks to go (laughs) (laughs) no but it was like yeah it's also a very good uh, reason to 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 keep it a bit to slow down and just put things on hold and only do things that are really important because it took me a month Before I was back to my normal energy level, yeah. But uh, yeah, of course I know what you mean. But I think my practice is a bit more uh, based on this uh, relaxed, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, attitude. But um, still, if uh, I I never try to grow with with Roma, at least. And with with uh, Enter Enter, it's a bit different. We have to find out. But with Roma, it's kind of. a maximum of 25, 30 books a year. Um, but this dropped down to between 15, 20 for this year. And also the sales, sales go down. But I kind of enjoy also that, that because I find it to work on this limit of 30 books a year was also uh, almost too much. <laughs> but... I know from other publishers uh, yeah you can grow you can easily become a publisher with 150 books a year and then uh, you you're, you're just uh, directing many people and but so I keep it small but but still I also faced kind of a limit yeah, yeah. and now there's a bit more margin after this year
6: yeah. No, I think growth is, is also a subject that, you know, we talk about our practices, it, it's, it is expected, especially if we're dependent on funding.
1: Yeah. Well,
6: um, there's this demand for the growth of your organization or, as they call it, professionalization, which kind of is inherent with growth. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, for all of you, uh, how about those areas? Are,
5: it's a bit scary, I think, yeah, what's coming, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, I, no, it's a- I literally in mind what you just said. Yeah, oh, what about to Because I find it also actually quite uh, challenging. Not to grow or like it seems also. You it takes a lot of effort to stay small because mm-hmm. there's so many that, like uh, expectations to professionalize and uh, to sustain all of But
6: it's also weird that that professionalization that is you know, kind of connected to growth. Yeah, I think it's it's really, really
2: deep rooted in a cultural cultural understanding, not only Dutch, but... But um, but this... Uh, but this, um, this this effect that staying small is almost more of a choice than... than uh, well, I mean, that sounds very privileged, actually. But... Um, but that the expectations can be that you grow and that that's connected with success. But maybe no, but, saying that... But
5: you also grow by continuation, not not by quantity, but just the continuation is a growth mm. in itself.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking, I mean, all the time, and it's not to force this conversation towards this um, Dutchness, but I also, I mean, oh, speaking about funding... Um, and possibilities or privileges or not privileges. Of course, it's also um, reflecting the conditions that we're in, No, we can apply for funding. Or, and I think
6: it's really important that we do, and that we have the
2: system in place where you can apply for funding. Mm-hmm. But that No, true. No, I was, but I was also then, now I'm like, it's not to change the topic, because I think this is very it's interesting uh, to talk about, but I also do wonder, um, I mean I think we all here sitting around the table are um rep- representing different collaborative uh, practices also and uh, at least my main other main reference will be Denmark where I'm originating from and it's not now generalizing sorry for that but it's it's not as common i think to see these self-initiated uh, designer collaborations or design and artist artistic collaborations uh, in that field that goes together with also maybe like an audience and uh, many other things but do you think that it's um does it does this interdisciplinary sorry collaboration, does it reflect something specifically Dutch? Or do you yeah, can you somehow maybe consider it in, in context with I be yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> its privilege, like, yes.
1: You
2: I think
3: it's the acknowledgement of the need to get all the freedom to explore and you know, like get that there's a lot of understanding and resources available, but I feel like it, yeah, I, I see a lot of super relevant and urgent, even more than Dutch initiatives, collaborative initiatives um, popping up everywhere in the world,
2: mm-hmm. that
3: really have a different kind of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah. Do you want to give any specific examples? I,
3: um, I was thinking of, for instance, the, the what they called? the Digital Justice mm-hmm. uh, Initiative and I think they're based in Detroit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of unionizing going on in mm-hmm. the states right now and um, yeah, like, mm-hmm. like collectives that don't have as a goal to express themselves like artistically but that use their design artistic skills to really um, do
6: social justice. and. But for more uh, equality. Mm. But, the, but yeah, does that is there an implication in, in that answer that that Dutch, that what we call the Dutch design discourse that it's less um, urgent in that sense? <laughs> I'm trying to see because I, I do feel that I'm not sure honestly. I, like I also feel uh, maybe.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't want to be ignored and just saying something like that. And I'm, I'm uh, also trained in Germany uh, as a graphic designer, so I don't have this. Uh, I don't I don't feel like uh, I have the authority to say, make such a bold statement. But I, could personally, from my own position, speaking from my own position, I feel very privileged. Yes, and I feel like the individual is very present in a way, even in elevated structures. It feels still like. We do it because we can and we should, and you know, I guess it's um, yeah. It's just yeah. I think there's maybe a different sense of urgency. Than mm. Maybe somewhere else in the world
4: right now. Yeah. yeah, I'm also I'm just speculating, but just thinking about what you just said about this sense of urgency, but also how you're how you're educated in Germany. So, I mean maybe like talking about then maybe Dutch design in general is uh, still sometimes a bit fake to me nowadays what that actually means so maybe it makes more sense to then really look at like the educational institutions like (laughs) because also not every uh, uh, design education that you can get in the Netherlands is the same but I do think that i think the building is collapsing <laughs> 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 yeah um anyway um and i think um of course we are all uh, uh, sandberg uh children they felt children so um uh, and i think that um uh, also the Sandberg of course is also very much known in like Really like pushing um, this cross disciplinary education and 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 um, uh, looking at things and like collaborating is very encouraged. But yeah, I think that um, also knowing from like design that um, it's about graphic design, but you're very much encouraged to work with other all kinds of services, you know, to express that. So, and I also think that Dutch um education it's very critical so like almost like radical what would be in other countries considered radical it's very much institutionalized here it's almost like you're you're being almost sent from school if you're not radical enough (laughs) (laughs) other places used to be the other way around um and so i think here it is kind of easier to to incorporate this um this hybrid, um, yeah, or so to sort of create a hybrid practice out of that. While well, maybe other locations, this kind of like comes into existence out of urgency because you really want to tap into something that is really going on there, and you look at what is at hand and what you can create with that. While well, here, you really have a lot of freedom to experiment that with that in art school already. Just. I think thinking It's actually
6: the conclusion of, of the conversations we had earlier as well, that that what Dutch design uh, then is, is more of an expanding an and always changing conversation on how uh, to both engage with the world as well as trying to solve certain matters, you know, very specifically, but also to engage in a more speculative form of discourse. And and that that is what makes Dutch design, although it is a very ugly word, I have to (laughs) say. It's like whatever I hear it is. But I do feel that within our education system, and at least within art education, um, and I think that's also the reason why uh, uh, art schools in the Netherlands attract so many students from abroad, is the fact that we do have this infrastructure uh, that allows people to discover, you know, themselves as designers and as artists.
2: Yeah, and it's exactly this, these aspects of um, of a very international community being here, and uh, also the possib- the funding possibilities that maybe were here more in the past, but still, nonetheless, exists um, and the, an audience that. Also understands or appreciates um, design also as an um, independent or um, let's say as something that can be on display, um, and that all that together, I think, especially in the in the talks on education or learning, um, also makes it possible to have these these educations that are very much um, centered around. Developing a critical position or um, awareness of one's own profession,
4: at least.
6: So, uh, Aya, yeah, you are now very much part of that education yeah, system, yeah, in the sense that you are the course director yeah. of the design department at the software Institute. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I should be careful as well. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> not participating. No, but that I, I am interested in, in seeing, yeah. like, but now you are actually you're part of that design system yeah. and I'm actually wondering how
3: far it is really still true this, this idea that uh, people come to Netherlands to, to really um, uh, I think it, it is definitely true to a certain extent that they, that they know there's a uh, space maybe to explore what they're really interested in from their own sort of uh, fascination and urgencies but also I think this idea of Dutch design also a brand, and people see it as such. And the same counts for diplomas. Like people come also to just qualify and go back to where they, you know, they mm. they come from to, to to be able to show uh, I have that qualification. And what then oftentimes doesn't hold is that uh, yeah that people actually have a realistic future within the Dutch context to sustain their practices here and I find it very problematic, especially with people coming from outside of the EU. Um, uh, yeah, sometimes it's very challenged or like, uh, yeah, it's quite heavy on my shoulders to accept people from other realities because um, I know also what, what it's like, uh, yeah, I, what, what it's like to be in the Netherlands. and. Um, and I'm, as being part of the EU, able to sustain my practice, humble, like more just practice. Um, but if you come from places where you have like enormous study there, you also get your uh, cultural context, maybe also uh, demands from you to care for your families and all of that, that's not what we can sustain here. And that's, I think, not so clear for everyone who comes here. So I think we also have to. Be careful in how we present um, the Dutch design world, or, you know, what it offers uh, to everyone, because it doesn't offer that for everyone. It offers that for, you know, people that have privilege. And I think that's also usually the people that study here, and it's, it's more privileged than people. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm also curious actually because we do speak often in terms of critical design education, what that actually means. I think that's been also becoming a bit of a, a, synonym, a synonym for talking about, I cutting edge or innovative design practices, but I think the notion of critical design and criticality is also worn out. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'm also just curious, like, critical what and uh, from where, and I think it's it's nothing in itself, right? It's like you always have to connect it to something. So uh, I wouldn't just say like that design education is more critical than uh, education in other places in the world. It's really, you have to see it in context. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, when we were talking about learning, we also, we had, um, um Roche Club from De and Jürgen from Sandberg and David Benowitz from the Rittfeld. And although there's differences, there's also a lot of commonalities actually. And it, and which means that the kind of conversation that we've had was circling a lot around um not necessarily graphic design and or design in the sense of um Applied or commercial work like that's not taken for granted. Whereas, as addressed by Roche, like, this is not necessarily representing all of Dutch art or design education because you can also find, of course, educations where um, where it's way more applied um, classes or learning than objective.
6: Totally opposite the
4: academic
2: And the opposite, of course.
6: But
4: uh, for me, coming from um, from France, <laughs> where
3: I before studying at like I did a full courses in uh, project design. Uh, it it felt like a really big change. And I actually, when I was when I was in my final year in France doing this kind of master, I had to write like a thesis, and I wrote it. Uh, as Writing about uh, the housing crisis in Paris, and like working closely with like a squatter collective, and uh, one thing led to another. I started taking a lot of examples of um, like engaged graphic design, and starting from like the French tradition, but that yeah, like
2: continued but
3: kind of died out, and realized that uh, there was. Yeah, in in the Netherlands there was actually a lot more like the tradition was still it was still a thing to be a graphic designer or a designer in general and have like a practice that is socially engaged and make yeah build a practice around that. Um so that made me want to come to the Netherlands and I didn't know anything about Sunbury or Big Belt, and uh, like I had been to Aslan once when I was sporting with my dad, so it was not like um I didn't hear of any of the schools, and I just, um, uh, and it was, like, really a huge uh, surprise for me six years ago to come and to go to the open day of the Rietveld and be like, oh, my God, like, people have been studying like this, and it's so cool. It's so free. And I, like, the way I learned graphic design was great. I mean, it was great. Like, uh, technically, I learned a lot of stuff, but it was so close also. And I feel like... um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, but at least in my understanding of like how design came to exist, at first, it, designers were also artists, and like an architect could also make a book and like make like paintings, and this was not weird. And then it became like very specific uh, professions. That if you're a graphic designer. Uh, you are maybe, like, making books and someone is going to make posters and maybe it's not even going to cross over or, like, you're going to be, like, very rigid about how you make books. And um, and I know, like, here it's, like, a lot more fluid and, like, if you study, like, I didn't study at the Rittwald, but I saw, like, projects from the graphic design department of Rittwald and it's not graphic design and it doesn't matter or, like, it doesn't have to be. And I think this is also... Maybe it's privileged, but it's very refreshing also because I don't think it happens a lot anywhere else in Europe, actually, that you can just be in, in yeah, in the graphic design department and uh, do like uh, sculptures or make uh, films, uh, make 3D animation, and nobody taught you the program. You just went for it yourself. So I think this is like, yeah, quite unique, uh, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, yeah, say, this, yeah.
5: It, it comes to mind that I, I lost a bit track of what graphic design stands for because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not in education for a long time and, and I'm, I'm a bit monomanic. But but what I, I think is there is a long tradition of accepting a graphic designer as being part of the editors, like the art, that, that you are um, accepted as an editor and almost an author of a project. And what you say... I uh, also uh, that makes me think that that it's for me it's almost typical Dutch that is also kind of amateurism in it because if if a designer like a graphic designer is involved in the project with an architect he talks as if he's also uh, yeah and also with like inventing like your own you 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 learn some tools and you think you can do it yourself so there's some some kind of freedom in it but I I, I had to. Think about amateurism in in, in, a, in a sense, that <laughs> or pretentious. <laughs>
1: yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, 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 that's I I can kind of relate to that myself. I feel also a bit like a self-made. Mm-hmm. Uh, professor i have absolutely limited knowledge but i can act a bit like yeah and and i think that's that's kind of a nice attitude for everyone in every profession and Mm. like like this kind of stubbornness of of your own belief
1: yeah
5: and maybe that's something that we can afford ourselves like also we are privileged maybe to to take that position and that designers are also accepted to explicitly take that position and yeah. talk about every topic or have an opinion and
2: I think a conversa- express it. Sorry, no. I think a conversation that I that I recognize uh, from your observation, Juliet, on the on the graphic design department of Friedfeld, Um also kind of reflects the, the, like challenging the term or maybe the difficulty also of defining publishing as such. Because I think we, for instance, in Fünfahrt, have been speaking about. I mean how yeah publishing is not only print You can also talk about publishing um through sound or now i'm also being reminded that we uh funfara in the context of hackers and designers talked about publishing in space or using display to claim space for publishing so i think I mean perhaps you're running a publishing house will have a lot of thoughts on this yeah. matter
5: well I I like to see it as a democratic um, um, business very very like like publishing means multiplying and, and and making things affordable or also yeah by multiplying you you can spread it and everyone pays a small amount to make something big possible mm. And that's that's really great uh, concept, and it's very old, maybe not not so old. I don't know when did people start to reproduce oh. things. Yeah, very old. yeah, the books with Gutenberg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah,
5: but I think Good. yeah, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, it's also like the the, the the dark side is this consumerism, like you can reproduce everything and and, and try to sell it, uh, mm. and that may, that becomes the business model. Mm. So I'm, I'm very ambivalent to, 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 do that whole thing.
1: Yeah.
5: Yeah.
1: But, but I, I, really... I cannot
5: solve that myself, but I'm also feel, feel kind of uh, pressure on, on my shoulders also to think about that. Yeah.
1: yeah.
5: And no, then, but... then try to make things that you also kind of think make sense mm. and people need somehow, but that's, that's that's a, that, that's a uh, arguable thing when there's something necessary yeah
6: when you think it's necessary
5: yeah but then how many copies do you make uh, what do you uh, how many uh, sources do you want to use for it it's it's uh, yeah yeah but that's too big topic <laughs> <laughs> no but but basically this this idea of democratic uh, and, uh, gesture of, of reproducing and, and that's a beautiful thing of publishing whatever yeah. it is music or uh, books or art or le- literature just making it public
6: exactly yeah. making it Making it, it public. Yes, yeah, sure.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, again, yeah. very dangerous. Also, I was <laughs> yeah, thinking yeah. about the talk we had here from Faro with the um, woman who worked at the Russian troll Farm mm-hmm. um, who of course also is a publisher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, this idea of, of publishing um, as multiplying, I really like it. Also, that this reproduci- the reproducibility and the so the generosity that comes with it, as of course also the book is bound to a certain materiality and scarcity, uh, whereas, you know, that's that's not the case anymore on the mm-hmm. internet. So, um, yeah, just as a thought, you know, like
6: how how does that scale? Actually, Like, yeah, really, yeah. Um, but then again, that has always been the case for every you know, left-wing publication you would have a right-wing publication or something darker, you know, lurking in you know, those shadows and I think with, with with internet or with the distribution online um, it just has become more apparent and more widespread but it, it is the same system. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but it's true that in terms of trolling, that you can have anonymous chat forums online where you have big groups strate- strategically spreading publishing. Perhaps that's a bit of a side uh, going away Sorry. from the topic.
6: <laughs>
2: it's very It's it's very fascinating how. No, but I mean, it's it's really it's very fascinating how how in that, such a, a digital context you have um, very organized systems of spreading and then spreading and spreading like um, in order to also have stories or narratives coming together which then are being caught up by, by social media later on or reaching news which then becomes a big topic because then it also becomes Get political influence. Mm. Yeah. Well,
5: not
1: everything
5: is political. Yeah, but like, yeah, if you see that you're you're not able to publish anything in China if you're not state uh, uh, bound. Like, so yeah, it's a political thing that you that you can like on a small scale uh, make make your own publications and yeah.
6: I, what I maybe mean, would like to address as the last question is, is something that I answered at the beginning of the conversation is that we sometimes don't address things enough. So maybe there is a suggestion for a further conversation uh, to be had in the future. It's a very vague and open-ended question. I, I think there is something. Hmm.
4: Uh, we, we, didn't,
6: we
3: didn't really mention so much uh, one important part of hackers and Designers' practice. Um, which I think is something that can be addressed a lot and often uh, the tools we use as designers are very simple to our practice so like, of course it depends what kind of a designer you are but as graphic designers um, most of us at least uh, the younger generation we are trained to work with the Adobe Suite and I think that uh, maybe even if we want to be critical, uh, sometimes you just have to use it because that's just uh, what you learn and that's the easiest option to do things. And I guess um, from a very privileged perspective at Hackers & Designers, we have the time and the uh, uh, means to look into other tools and to make a book very slowly with alternative tools mm-hmm. uh, so that's what we try to do every year uh,
6: so like one book per year very mm-hmm. slow so more open source tools yes. for designers
2: i think that is a, a very important conversation to have yeah especially the the also the awareness of the tools that we mm-hmm. use or of That which was addressed in our last conversation as well, where Cosmos Carl Frederike from Cosmos Carl was here. And that's basically a platform uh, hosting links to works elsewhere, where a majority of those works are using digital tools in a different way than intended. And I think. A main drive there outcome is also that by by using the tool differently, it makes you think about or learn about the tool as well.
3: Yeah. No, and I also think, I mean, that we, we've been uh, wanting to, like also in the same way that we've had this uh, reflection about uh, how, what what tools to use and how to try to self-make tools or what aspect of a certain tool we want to explore. Uh it's also, I think, important, at least like I try to take this in consideration all the time in my graphic design choices, is what font am I using? Who made it? Uh, do I want to support that or not? <laughs> and uh, I mostly use fonts made by women. And there is like a growing uh, library of uh, fonts made by women. And luckily, there's more and more women type designers. But the history of women in graphic design is not... Uh, uh, yeah, very well known. So it's hard, but more and more people are getting interested and there's very
2: interesting projects. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. yeah. And do you want to share the link to the typography? Yeah, it's a leap front by women
3: with an X. Sure. It's by, uh, Lauren yep, Joseph cool. right? And,
2: yeah. uh, it's
3: a great, uh, so that's like a specific project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, there are more and there's, that there is a growing community of, uh, yeah. Of, uh, of women uh, doing graphic design and doing typography yeah. that we should support, and also of uh, people of color doing typography.
2: Yeah, no, and I think now, I mean, it's also good to do some, a bit of product placement in this <laughs> talk. And I mean, we very much like that also by having this visual footnote thing, it's also a bit of offering a, a way to hijack what visually will be shown.
0: Fanfare at Tokyo Art Book Fair Fanfare at Tokyo Art Book Fair